singing that song before about the evidence of God. Uh, we don't typically do stuff like this, but does somebody, can someone share for just a minute with the, with the, the body here, the community of Hill City, um, we call this a praise report, <laughs> or something where God showed up uh, in a situation in your life. Would anybody be willing to share that um, quickly? Um, yes, right over here. Tell them your name, your address, where you're from. No, I'm just kidding. Just tell us your name and then uh, go ahead and share. My name is Gianna. Um, I was killed by a drunk driver who drove me into entry and uh, was never supposed to walk again. Never supposed to, I mean, I was done. My brain had so much trauma, they put me in a coma, broken neck, broken skull, broken back that is still broken. But by the grace of God, I walk every day. I'm able to work. I'm able to be here and praise him and spread his message and spread my story. What is uh, this morning? Well, apparently I'm louder than you. So what do you, what, what, what's going on this morning? What are you thankful for specifically this morning? I'm thankful to be here and spread my story and hopefully it can help and grow somebody else's faith in God. He is there. I was going down the wrong road and by this accident, he woke me up. He reconnected me with my family. He I mean, really, it's never too late. Turn yourself over to him. He wants you. He's begging for you. Just do it. You know, just do it. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I'm just thankful I had cereal this morning. That was mine. Wasn't quite. That's amazing. I'd love to hear more of your story. That's amazing. Um, God is real. And I don't do that just to exploit it. But I mean, let, can we just praise God sometimes we come in even in the midst of I mean that's life and death but man this morning just be thankful 
be thankful that God is good, amen, that he's Lord, and we get to come into this place and worship an almighty God, a living, breathing God, amen, amen. You guys can be seated this morning, you've been standing for a little bit. Welcome to Hill City Church. Oh man, I would love to hear more of your story. I'm I'm all derailed now. I got to talk about announcements now, and uh, that is so much cooler. Uh, but uh, we got a, we have a few announcements. Uh, we being me, and uh, we uh, par- I don't want to call it paradigm. Growth Track is starting again. Uh, Growth Track is our is our way to, for you to get connected. We go through a series of 101, uh, 202, no 201. I'm getting that, whatever. Um, one, two, three, four series. Uh, but if this is your church home, if you've been coming here for a while or you're looking to get plugged in, looking for a place to serve and really fulfill uh, your calling within this, the local church, uh, we are here uh, to, uh, we have a system called Grow Track that, that goes about four to five weeks. And uh, we would love to answer any questions you have. Mark Mitchell back here and his wife somewhere. Oh, she's back in, in, uh, in Hill City Kids. They'll be happy to answer any questions. Uh, I myself can answer them as well. Uh, but there's a sign-up right out there in the computer. Go and punch your information. Take 30 seconds, and we kick it off in about a month. Um, it meets on Sundays right after our church service on Sundays. And like I said, it lasts about a month. Um, yeah, more information to come on that. We also have Urban Outreach. Uh, every month we have the opportunity to serve at Urban Outreach. Urban Outreach is a is a ministry that we're partnered with down in uh, North Denver. And uh, they do all sorts of great things. Um, so we, uh, we, we serve, uh, this, we serve the, oh, I have to say when it is, oh. it's the, uh, the second Thursday of every month. Uh, so this would be the second Thursday of this week. Uh, and it's Thursday night. If you have any questions, cause I don't have a lot of the details in my head right now. Uh, Candace and Gabe can answer any questions, but I really encourage you guys to, uh, you know, it's going to put you out of your comfort zone sometimes because it is in North Denver and we, we do serve uh, the, the, the impoverished, uh, the needy, the, the, the homeless, the people that God has called us to biblically to serve. Amen. And so um, I really uh, challenge all of us to, to participate that, in that at some point. All right. Uh, with that, I'm going to keep us moving here. Um, I'll just share a quick thing and then we'll keep moving. Um, I was, uh, anybody use Snapchat? Snapbook, what's it called? I'm not, this is not to hate on Snapchat, but um, how do I say this, that, uh, that God's our audience, and uh, you, you learn as you get older to, to really understand that, that my, God is Lord, or he's just, he's just a thing that we do on a Sunday morning. And I, was, I had the opportunity to go to, uh, to uh, Lake McConaughey yesterday, to, uh, if you've ever been to Lake McConaughey, it's a big long lake in southwest Nebraska. They're like, is there anything in Nebraska? Yes, there's a lake. I've preached on this before. Um, but there is a beautiful lake there. And uh, last time I think I made a joke about Nebraska. There are people from Nebraska in here, so I don't want to offend anybody from Nebraska. But they were, there were about seven teenage boys in the boat, and we were tubing. And it was, they, <laughs> I could, I just, I, I'm, I'm getting old. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm no longer in my 20s. But it was, uh, they, I, they were trying to unlock the phone, and the kid's like, what's your passcode? He's like, I don't know, it's diagonal, and then up. It's like, you don't know the numbers to unlock your phone? Uh, anyway, that was point number one. Uh, point number two was, I said, couldn't you just swipe left and take a video? And they said, no, you got to open the app to take the video. You can't just take a video, right? Just to have a video. You got to have a video so you can put it on Snapchat. Um, but they were so concerned with posing in just the right pose on the tube to get just the right thing. And it, it just made me hilarious. And at one point, the kid was, he, I, this is thumbs up means go faster. 
when you're on, anybody know on a boat, right? Go faster. Thumbs down means slow down. So he's, he's going like this. So I keep speeding the boat up faster and faster. And he's going like this. And I'm like, okay, faster, faster. And he finally flips off. He's like, why'd you keep going faster? I was like, you, everyone thought you were doing this. He was saying, take a picture of me. Like, snap me. I'm like, look at me, I'm on a tube. And just, I was like, oh, everyone thought you were like going like this. So it was the funniest thing. And he's like, all oh, pants fell down. It was all over the place, but it was hilarious. So I was cranking the boat. Um, so anyway, and it didn't even get snapped. So uh, it, was all a, it was all a wash for him. Um, but he got back on the boat. He's like, did you get me? Did you get me? And we're like, we didn't get you, bro. And he was so devastated by it. And then someone posts it, right? A, a good thing. And then what did they respond back with? Um, TF, what was it? TFTI. Does anybody know what that means? Thanks for the invite. I was like, what's TFTI? Right? So then we post these things and then instantly someone kind of feel, right? TFTI is kind of a you feel bad thing, right? Like, thanks for the invite. I didn't get to go. But it just, um, this is not to hate on social media or Snapchat or Snap, whatever it's called anymore. But I just, I want to say this, just uh, I'm learning my life to live in the present, to live in the moment, and look toward the future, um, and I'll, I'll probably speak about this at some point, but man, embrace the past, look to the future, but man, live in the moment, don't be so concerned with, am I getting the perfect picture right now? Could you get a selfie of me, Michelle, right now preaching? Right, wouldn't that be good on social media? But man, just uh, just en embrace the, the, the present we have right now, just like your own life almost gone right and we're so concerned with the with the uh with what's going on in life so i'm not going to get too serious now because i want to give it to pastor john um but megan and i've been gone a while we missed you guys we love you guys uh we got the opportunity to take the whole month of july off and, and do a, a once in a lifetime thing and i'll tell you this during our travels we missed our community and we not, not only missed it we were just so thankful that we have that because being nomads is really cool and we like to adventure but man, we miss friendships, we miss community, we miss connection, and, and that's, what's, um, that's what we wanna be at Hill City Church, is we wanna be a family. We wanna be a group of people that genuinely love Jesus, love each other, and wanna impact our world. So I'm gonna pray, we're gonna keep moving. God, thank you for this morning, for your presence, for Jen and the team for leading us in worship. God, that we, we acknowledge right now that you are good. God, we invite your presence to be even stronger this morning. God, may we learn from the word right now we focus all our energy, our mind, our soul, our spirit uh, to learn from Pastor John. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Oh, you guys, you guys can come forward and pass those out. I'm sorry. Pass those out. I'm going to just set this up. And uh, talk to your neighbor right next to you. Get to know their name. It was cool that uh, we met you, like, on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> like, good to meet you, Gianna. Right? And what is your name? Get to know the person next to you. It's kind of a good thing. Yeah, get the, if you need to cross aisles, cross aisles. We, we don't have a large, that big of a church. It's perfect to get to know people. It's important to. I think it's important to be family. I don't want you to be lost in, in, in a space called church because church is not a space it's not a place it's the people of god and we cannot be lost amongst the people of god if we choose not to and sometimes you have to put your neck out there to be known you got to say hello you got to say whatever my name is this and 
and I like Apple products, right? You can, whatever you need to say. This is, uh, this is Caleb right here. If you have Apple products, right here. Take it to this guy. He just opened a new business. Just, right? But I, I love Caleb. I, I try to show up about once a week, make sure he's not bored to death. And uh, I try to just, man, I love what they're doing. I love when, uh, when people are willing to take a risk in their life and go for it because too long, you know, we hold back, we hold back. And even like with one another, we want to control how everything goes, right? So we don't want to be uh, out of sorts. And so this is what I'm going to talk to you about today. It's called Control Freak. And I'm going to read the scripture from Mark 12, 35 to 44. And I'm going to read and we're going to go straight into it. I'm going to read and pray and then we're going to run, all right? And uh, Mark 12, 35 to 44. And as Jesus taught in the temple... How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? So he's doing this theological debate with the scribes, with the teachers of the law. David himself in the, in, in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, said uh, no, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put my enemies under your feet. David calls him, him Lord which means David called the Messiah Lord. We can break this down. But so how is he his son? How is the Lord his son, right? And the great uh, group of people heard him gladly. And Jesus was declaring that he, that, 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 uh, that he was the son of David in his humanity. So in his lineage, Jesus was born in the family of David. So he's like, yes, I'm uh, the son of David. But then he declared as Messiah, he was also Lord of David in his divinity as the son of God. So then verse 38, in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes, beware of these guys, right? Who like to walk around, these religious folks who like to walk around with long robes or your WWJD t-shirt on, right? And they greet, they love the greeting in the marketplace. They have the best seats in the temple, the places of honors at the feast, yet who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers they will receive a greater condemnation. I was like, dang, I'm gonna keep my prayer short. And he sat down opposite of the treasury. This is amazing, right? That Jesus sits down at the opposite of the temple treasury and he begins to watch people giving in the offering box. Just imagine that. Jesus is like, really? You know, just imagine what he's doing, he's counting. I counted six, six, I saw you, I saw you, right? Just he's, he's counting the offering. Many rich people put in large sums. And then there was this poor widow who came and put two small copper coins. She had two coins that, uh, that came together to make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all those who are contributing in the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had all she had to live on. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna run into this. Heavenly Father, I pray that this already irks everyone. I pray that, God. Yeah, we're talking about money, 
We're talking about things that you talk about. We're not going to hide nothing. We're just going forward with your word. And we believe your word reveals Jesus and Jesus changes our lives. And that's what matters today. I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill this place and that people would sense the holy moment going on, God. And that people would open up their hearts, open up their ears to hear Christ like it's the first time we've ever heard it, God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Before we go into this passage, I want to ask you a question. Who in here is a control freak? Just raise some high control freaks. You like, I mean, you got to control the details. I know Richard is one, right? I heard you are one, Richard. You're a control freak. Who else? Control freaks around here? Yeah. All, all in this place. We got some control freaks. And, and, and it's interesting, right? It, it's interesting. Who, like, I mean, you have this urge to control everything in your surrounding, right, and in other people's surrounding. <laughs> You're like, I know what's best for you, <laughs> right? It's a, you, you, you have this urge to control the important and the mundane, right? It's funny because uh, my wife's not here. It's perfect. My wife has a certain pattern. Oh, she's over there. She raised her head. Oh. <laughs> Busted for sure. But she has this pattern of how the pillow should go on the bed. We don't even use those pillows. And people don't go to our bedroom and use those pillows. I'm like, why is this pattern have to be the certain pattern? If you flip the pattern, she goes there and unflips the pattern, right? It's a big pillow. It's a, a little square pillow, rectangle pillow, and then one pillow across. It, I'm those, and if you switch it, she switches it back. I'm like, does it even matter? On our couch, it's big pillow, yellow pillow, gray pillow. It can't be yellow pillow, gray pillow, big pillow, all right? That is wrong, right? That is a sin in my house, the yellow pillow, uh, gray pillow, big pillow. So people, they have an urge. Some people, uh, I'm not going to name any Candace, um, but some people have an urge to control the important and, and the mundane, right? And some people, the toilet paper has to go this way. Some people, the toilet paper goes under. Some people, they, the toothpaste have to go a certain way, right? It has to be rolled up a certain way. And now we don't, because we don't even like to roll up toothpaste, we have the other squeezy bottle toothpaste. Right? Because you, we're rolling it up wrong. We're rolling it up wrong. I had some slides that were uh, just like uh, little axioms of control freaks. I thought these were funny. He says, as long as everything exactly the way I want it, I'm totally flexible. <laughs> I'm not really a control freak, but I can show you the right way to do that. <laughs> I love that. I think that's hilarious. I, I don't like control, but I could show you. These are hilarious. But here's some signs that you might be a control freak. Number one, you believe that someone, if someone would change one or two things about themselves, you would be happier. <laughs> if you change a couple of things, I'd be happier, right? So you try to help them by pointing things out, you know, like over and over and over, like over and over again, right? Number two, you micromanage others to make them fit like what you think the world looks like, what's best for you. And uh, number, uh, number three, you might judge a little quicker than usual right? Number four, you offer constructive criticism as a, as a covert attempt to advance your agenda, right? You see this at work, right? You see it at work, they're like, oh, you know, it's like covert. I'm doing this for you. You're like, no, you're not. This is manipulation. I'm going to do the opposite. And, and there's some of you who didn't raise their hands who are re rebellious, who will like automatically put yellow pillow, gray pillow, big pillow, right? Instead of gray pillow, yellow pillow, big pillow. Just because you're like, you don't control me, not, not these pillows, right? 
Number five, this is, this is funny because this is some of us in this room. You present worst case scenarios in an attempt to influence someone's behavior. Do you ever, like, oh, you know what's going to happen? You're going to die. <laughs> That's what's going to happen, right? <laughs> I was on this trip with someone, I won't even say it. There's, uh, there's a couple of my friends that are worst case scenario people. And they're like, you know what's going to go? You're going to fall into the river. And I was like, they're not going to fall into the river. The river is only four inches deep, <laughs> right? The, my wife is kind of worst case scenario. She can be. She can be. She looked at me straight. My wife is not a worst case scenario. It must be me. I'm the opposite. I'm like, you should lean over that cliff. Just stick your head over. I make my kids, when we go hiking, if we're on a giant cliff, I make them go up to the cliff and at least stick their head over and look down. Because I want them to feel a little bit of the, you know that feeling you get when you're unsure? Right? And then uh, and my wife would never let me do half the things I do with my kids. Don't call the authorities. Right? But you got to control. And, 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 and your worst case scenario at number six, or no, you have a hard time with the unknown. Like you worry, 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 worry about the unknown, even though it hasn't happened yet. Even though it hasn't happened at all, but you think the worst case scenario is going to happen in your worry. So, all right, John, get to your point. What are you trying to talk about? Uh, why are you talking about control? And how does this have to do with this passage? First, because control is typically a reaction of fear. Think about that for a moment. Fear of losing control. Most of us, we became control freaks, or many people have become control freaks in certain areas because of some certain trauma, abuse, pain, or hurt in our past. And so we say, I'm never going to go and feel like that again, or I'm never going to put, my situation in, put myself into that situation again. And so we, we make a way, we, make, we ensure that we're not even, even close ever to that situation, that we're never out of control, so we, over, we go overly the other way, right? Some of us, you guys were super rebellious. And then as parents, you are the strictest parents ever, right? And the others, you guys, you, uh, you grew up uh, in a very, like, uh, like a loose home. And you could do whatever you want. And then you yourself are strict parents. And it's funny. We flip-flop like that depending on what we have experienced because, because it's out of fear. We don't want, we don't want to, we vowed never to be put into that situation. And we go extreme the other way in needing to control an, an unhealthy proportion. Listen, many of us, we really have faced trauma. You have wounds, and it might be words that play over and over again in your head. Maybe it's a bad relationship. I know uh, that when, when, uh, when, um, I know that when I was at a certain age, they were like, John, you are fat, right? And so now I do everything I can. Like, you know, you, you fight this battle with weight or you fight this battle. Or you, I remember being called stupid at a young age. And all your life you fight this battle and you do things so that you're never put into a situation that you can be called that again. So you're trying to control your environment because of pain, not because you really want to control your environment. It's, the, it's that trauma that we have faced in our childhood or in our marriages or in relationship. And even if you bury it deep down and say, no, I'm not dealing with that trauma, that trauma always peaks its head in our life with, by anxiety or the lack of trust, right? Uh, uh, usually uh, people or husbands and wives that cheat on their husbands and wives, they always say to them, I can't trust you. When in, in the moment, they're not trustworthy. 
It's crazy. Or, or it's, it's, it, we do the opposite. There's this weird reactionary moment because of the trauma and anxiety comes up, lack of trust comes up, anger comes up, abuse comes up because that's all part of control. And the reason I'm talking about this is because I want freedom for your life. I really do. I love this church. I love these people. And I hate it when, I, when I'm talking to someone or I'm doing life with someone and I can tell there's like a brick wall in their lives and they will never let anyone step into their lives. They won't. There's certain people and you know who you are in this room. And there's parts of us, all of us, that is very hard to allow someone that close. Many of us, we allow people so close enough and then we push them far away. Have you ever had a friend that you've always tried to get like close with or like share, like just be really deep friends and you, you feel like it's going really good and then you hit a wall and they bail. They bail, and it's because of this trauma that is taking place. And if that's you, God wants freedom in that area for your life and for my life. And I know this firsthand. This was me. This was me. You could only go so deep, and then I would quit. I would quit. You could be such a friend, but there was things that I was ashamed of, and you cannot come any closer into my life. And, and this is true about people, and this is true about your marriage. There's people married in this room, and, they, they, and we are close, but they, once they step a little too close, they start disappearing. They start shunning. And it's not because it's of their personality. It's because of fear that they might be known too well, or it's hurt. And, and I don't, and I'm not calling that out to call that out. I want you to heal from that. I do. I desire you to be free because there's freedom in Christ. There's freedom. There's joy in being known because there's two things that every human being needs is to be fully known and fully loved. And when you're fully known and you're fully loved, you don't care. Things people can say or talk about you, you don't care. I'm fully known. And I'm fully loved. And the only person that can fully do that is Christ. I absolutely believe that. You find your freedom in that. So today, I want to confront your heart because I want your freedom. I want you to have joy. And what we need to do is take those pieces that we try to control. And it's funny. We try to control it anyway, and it just keeps us isolated, right? And I want you to take those pieces and figuratively I want you to take those areas and put it in the hands of Jesus because you can't carry it. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says, Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion because of being good or acting good? Oh, if I can just come to church now, feel better. Maybe, maybe. But then Jesus says this, it's more than going to a location. He says, come to me, get away with me, and recover your life. I will show you how to take real rest, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace, and I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and I'll, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Rest for your souls. No more bring a prisoner of your past prisoner of, of fear listen fear keeps you far from god it really does we think oh you know it, it doesn't i god god i i, I you, you have all of me then you then god calls a little piece of your life and you're like except that area and and you know and god will always point out areas that we deal with it's true and he will always bring it out and he will even use suffering in our lives 
to, to show you and to show others. He might use suffering in my life to show Kyle an area of fear or an area that he might be bound in. See, our suffering, we think our suffering is wrong. Sometimes our suffering is, is for someone else. Can we accept that as Christians? Is God big enough that he can use your suffering and your story to free someone today? Some of you, as you were sharing, I bet it was freeing up someone like God can do a miracle in my life. And it was through your suffering someone else is being freed. Isn't that crazy? Can we as Christians, as the church of Jesus, suffer well? And you'll hear that around here. And you might not ever hear that much. But it, can we suffer well for the freedoms of others? Will you let God use your past? But to get, for God to use your past, you have to unleash it from power over your life. Now the book of Mark, we notice Jesus. He begins to turn up the heat. Most of the time, we like Jesus when he, like, tells us what he's for, right? Jesus is for love. Like, people always tell me what Jesus is for, right? Jesus is for helping the poor. This is true. Jesus is, he, God, uh, he identifies with the poor all throughout the Bible. You lend to the poor, you lend to God. You insult the poor, you insult the Lord. That's what it says all through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament, right? But God loves, he, he is forgiving, he is grace-filled. He loves reconciliation. But what do we do when Jesus starts going at the things he hates? Right? Because in, 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 uh, in chapters 10, 11, 12, Jesus starts coming at people. He starts coming at people. And he says he's calling out our greed, our self-centered life, and our self-centered faith. Do you know what? Jesus calls out self-centered faith a lot. Maybe that's something we should think about. Self-centered faith. Faith, it, it, that's an oxymoron, right? Since faith is about God and it's God-centered, but it's, uh, it's sometimes we can flip it and make it self-centered. When he says, stop having sex with your girlfriend or flirting with that coworker that's not your husband, or when he talks about divorce, that it's a big deal, or he calls our pretentious pride out and it hurts, right? What do we believe about Jesus then? Do we fight him or do we say, I'm going to suffer well. God, I'm going to let you speak to me in that area of life. Jesus is not asking for our permission. We think Jesus asked for our permission. He's going to say what he says, and you're going to respond the way you respond, but he's not going to go with your control. He's not going to go with my control, right? Mark 12, he calls out the super religious and says, verse 38, beware of these guys. Don't be like these guys who walk around with long robes, want greetings from the marketplace, wants the best seats at the, at the temple and at, at the uh, feast. And Jesus begins to pull back the curtains. He's saying, these guys, they love status, recognition. They want to be seen as special we all want to be seen as special as americans we tell everyone we tell all our children you're so special right and and then maybe that but jesus saying yeah you're special you're made in the image of god but it's not about us and and this is what he's calling us out because these guys were using them so you've heard the thing don't use the lord's name in vain right it doesn't mean to say like like gd right we think that's what we were told when we were kids. Like, don't say that. Don't use, don't say Jesus out loud or anything like that. That's what we were told. That's not what the Bible means. The Bible means don't use God's name for your benefit. Don't use God's name as, as a VIP pass to do whatever you want, empowering your thing. So many people tell me, like, God told me to do this, right? So I'm like, God told you. Oh, man. Like, sometimes we see, like, on the news, like, God told you to leave your wife and to go with someone else. Like, I don't think God told you that. Like, or God told you to leave this church because you're mad at someone. That sounds stupid, right? 
God would not tell you these things. Do not use the Lord's name in vain to control people, to get privilege, all in God's name. This is, this is like on the Ten Commandments of things not to do, right? But so easily, when we get caught up in selfish faith, we can use God's name in vain. Trying to control God himself as if he owes you one because you came to church or we've been good. Now you got to bless me, God. I've been good. I know this sounds silly, but I know I do this. Anyone make deals with God? God, I'll do this and you do this. Handshake? Like secret handshake, God? He's like, no, I don't do secret handshakes, John. I'm like, you sure? Yeah, I, I don't do it. God, I did this for you. I've been good all week, read the Bible all week, God. You must like me more than Mark. I prayed 62 times this week. Pretty crazy. I counted out every one of them because I know how you count and I know how you like me praying at least 60 times a week, right? I, I've, I've even served the poor this week. I'm going to Urban Outreach, right? Now, I just need you to do a little something for me, right? Because we're making a trade as if God, as if we're in negotiations. Do we pray to God and ask? Absolutely. We ask like kids to a father. We're not making uh, uh, negotiations and deals like we're baseball players and owners, right? I do this, you do this. I do this, you pay this, right? We don't do it like that. We come to God as children of God, know that God loves us. We don't come make negotiations with God. He's God. I'm just John. He's God and you're just Mark. That's it, man. He's the creator of the world, and I'm just, I started with one cell, right? That's who I am, and that's who he is. It's crazy. There's only one way we approach the throne of God, and it's all over the Bible. Psalms 51 says, the sacrifice God desires as a humble spirit, O God, a humble and a repentant heart, or a humble and a contrite spirit, a broken and contrite spirit, you will not deny, you will not reject. So Jesus, he's building this point of what God accepts and God rejects, right? And he's calling people out, and then he, he starts counting people's offerings. And it's interesting. And then in Mark 41, uh, 12, 41, he says, and he sat down opposite of the treasury and watched the people putting money in the offering box, just watching them. Just like, all right, Mark, I saw that. You're like, oh, Jesus watching me, right? Many rich people put large sums, and poor widows came and put two small copper coins. Say two. I think it's important to know that she put two copper coins in, and it was worth like somewhere around the penny. And he called the disciples to him and said, truly I say to you, this poor widow, this poor widow has put more. And, and, and if you, anytime Jesus talks about a widow and orphan, they are the people that are most powerless, Right? Because money gives us control and gives us power. Isn't that true in, in our world today? So this poor widow who has no, uh, no husband. And in these days, when you don't have a husband, you lose your rights. Right? So this powerless widow, she gives two copper coins. She could have gave one copper coin, and it would have been awesome. Like, man, that's one co She gives two copper coins. And, she, and this has nothing to do with the amount of money. I'm just telling you this. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she has and everything she had to live on. The Greek word for what she did is the word bios. Say bios. It's the word we get biology, right? And it's the word life, right? So when Jesus, he's using the word, she gave her life. She gave her whole self. She gave her life away. That's what it is actually written. 
but it wouldn't make sense if it was written that way in our language. But it has to be broken down. Bios. She gave her life away. What Jesus is saying, the rich gave. They, when we give sometimes, and when the rich gave these days, they gave out of their margin, their abundance, right? Their leftovers. I know this is true for me. I know this is true for most of us. We don't give in a way that cuts into our life. We don't serve in a way that cuts into our life. We don't love in a way that might cut into our life. Well, what about my children? What about this and that? We, sometimes we love in a way in margin. I, I have this much love I can give to them, this much time I can give to them, this much money, this much whatever, right? We love in margin. We give in margin. We serve in margin, right? But I know this is true for me. I, I don't give in a way that cuts into my Chipotle, right, obviously, or comforts, or agendas. For most, most of us, we, in our giving, it's not going to affect if we're going to eat or not, or if we're not going to do this or not. We give without losing any control. Control. We serve without losing any control. We love without losing any control. Yet this woman gave her whole life her bios. It affected her deeply. She did not just give money, and she gave both coins. She was giving up the little bit of control she had in her life. All right, I'm done. Why is Jesus telling us this? Because for most of us, what keeps us from really trusting Jesus and fully committing to him is not intellectual belief. We're scared of losing control. God, scared of what God would ask for us. God, where are you going to lead me? What, will, what are people going to think the cost of losing control? Then what's the solution, John? What's the solution that you have? And I just want to say this. I only know one way that we can lose control and still feel joyful, still not feel, be joyful. And it is considering Jesus. Consider Jesus, reconsider Jesus, and re-reconsider Jesus, and then re-re-reconsider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Look deeply into his life because the Bible says he became poor. God himself, the richest being, became poor, right? Because it, he was born in a, in a barn. You know, he says, are you born in a barn? Yeah, he was born in a barn, right? He was born in a manger to lowly parents, to poor parents. And it says in the Bible that he had no place to lay his head, which means he was homeless. I know we like to look at Jesus. We see the pictures of him in the nice robe and the purple sash. Man, Jesus, he was homeless. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man, I have no place to lay my head. I have no place to lay my head. And on the cross, it says he gave up everything, his power, his rights, his status, his life. He went for broke. He became exploited. He became a prisoner. He said on the cross, I am thirsty. And then he, and he was stripped naked. Think about that. I know we don't like to think of Jesus that way, but on the cross, he lost all control. Yes, God lost all control on the cross for us. There's many times we read that uh, verse in Matthew 25 when it, when it says, when were you thirsty? When were you hungry? When were you naked? When were you a prisoner? And Jesus responds, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. But, it, but Jesus was also saying, 
I was naked. I was thirsty. I was hungry. I was the prisoner. On the cross, everything that the least of these would ever go through, Jesus has gone through. We can look to Christ. When he lost all control for us, when he gave his complete bios, everything in his life, his whole life, I just wrote this, on the cross, Jesus became sin, that sinners could become sons of God. The Son of God became sin so that sinners can become sons of God, daughters of God. So we never get over the cross. Never, ever get over the cross. Think about the cross. Meditate on the cross. I hope from 20 years from now, tears still fall from your eyes when you think about the cross, when you take communion. I hope it still hit home that what Jesus has done that it still takes your breath away, that it still gives you so much gratitude, fills your life with peace, and gives you courage to live this life. Because if Jesus loves me and is for me, and he lost all control to redeem me, then I have the power to face my fears. I have the power to face my hurts, my past, my inadequacies, my unforgiveness, my control issues with hope. And as we close today, these guys, they're gonna start passing out the communion. But I want to show you one last thing. It's going to be a picture. His name is Charles Blondin. Say Charles Blondin. In 1859, this is a lame story, but I'm going to tell you anyway. 1859, Charles Blondin did a tightrope over the Niagara Falls, right? And he walked Niagara Falls. It was super simple for him. He was this French uh, acrobat. And so he thought, so a couple people came, they're like, you need to do that again. So a week later, he, what he did is he got a wheelbarrow and he walked a wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls, right? On this tightrope. And then he did a blindfolded. Then he did it with a chair. Uh, look at the picture in the middle right there. He took a stove with fire in it and he got to the middle of the tightrope and he made himself an omelet. This is my favorite part. <laughs> I'm like, that is amazing. He did tightroping and he ate an omelet. Right? It was a Denver omelet. I don't know. It never says that. But this is interesting. So him and his managers, crowds grew bigger and bigger and bigger. So him and his manager, they got together. And this is, his name was Harry. Harry and Charles got together and they're like, what can we do to like really hype this up? Because they were getting so popular. And so uh, Harry is like, you know what? You should carry someone on your back across the tightrope. And Charles was like, that's a great idea. So what they did is they put in the paper, we are going to tightrope with a man on my back. And the people were just incredibly excited. And they said 100,000 people showed up that day. And they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't, they didn't have, they didn't, they, it just happened. Word of mouth, right? 100,000 people showing up. And, and before that, they were doing applications. And a bunch of people did the applications. They're like, I think we can do it because you would get $1,000 to be on his back across the road. And $1,000 was a lot of money back then. And so they brought the people together and Charles got on the rope and he's like, watch this. And he's doing flips and he's like, it's easier than the stove. Then he put a 200 pound sack on his back and he's still doing tricks. And, and then, and he's sitting on the rope, he's getting up with the 200 pound and he goes to the crowd, to the applicants and he says, do you guys believe that I could carry a man across the rope? And all the applicants says, with no doubt, we've seen you do it. And then he says, who is going to do this with me? I'm going to carry someone across Niagara Falls. And everyone quit. <laughs> There's no way 
There is no way we're doing that. He says, for a thousand dollars, no one approved. They all said, not on your life. See, the problem is not always intellectual belief. We can believe it, but the problem is losing control of your life. So the crowd showed up that day, a hundred thousand strong, yet no one was willing to do this. So Charles Blondin said, Harry, it has to be you. <laughs> so Harry, like after fighting for a while, he finally got on Charles's back and they showed that last picture and they walked across Niagara Falls. There's that picture of him and Harry. You, you can see Harry's face. He's not happy. In the middle of, of, the, uh, of, of the walk, Harry, it, it started to sway and Charles was sw swaying big time in that middle of that rope. Just imagine. And it, it, and it says uh, the rope began to sway and Harry got scared and started to counterbalance and they almost fell. And Charles yelled at Harry and he said these words, until I clear the rope, you must become part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, you must rest completely in me. Sway with me. Don't do anything on your own. Be a part of me or you will both or we will both die. Blondin was really saying, if you try to save yourself, you will lose yourself. Trust me completely. Rest in me completely. And Jesus says the same thing to us today. If he's, he's saying, trust in me completely. Rest in me completely. That's what it means to be a Christian. To rest in God completely in what Jesus has done. In Him, I am fully accepted by God, fully loved by God. We trust Jesus completely for our standing with God, with our identity with God. That's it. We're going to rest in that. And until we lose ourselves in Him, we will never know the fullness of God's peace, the fullness of God's love, the fullness of God's grace, His discipline, His mission, and the plan for our lives. Lose yourself and gain Christ. Matthew 16, 24, it says that. Then Jesus said to his disciples, "As any of you want to be my followers, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The more you try to control God, the more you will lose. The more you try to hang on to this world, hang on to your life, you will not understand the deep things of God. Hill City family, as we prepare for communion, I want you to trust Jesus in this way. Life could be a tightrope and it sways. And we can counterbalance and say, I know the way, Jesus. But what we really need to do is just hold on, rest in him. For if you lose your life, you'll gain it. If you lose your life, you'll gain it. And every week, I want you to, let's stand. Just like a tightrope. It takes one step at a time. You're not going to just trust in God all the way. It's not that easy. Just trust in God in a little area of your life. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Give that to God. Maybe it's a certain pain you've been dealing with forever and you felt like you had to control it and so you're, and, and, and you're hard to deal with in this area. Man, take one step in that area and give it to Christ. Maybe it's fear, fear of everything, worst case scenarios, and you just say, one step, God. Just like a child on a, just like a child taking their steps or just like walking a tightrope, it's one foot in front of another, in front of another. And as we take communion, I want us to think of Christ because on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And I always break it, that's what I do. And it reminds me that Jesus' body was broken so that I 
don't need to be broken. I could be made whole. He takes my brokenness and makes it whole. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this together. reflect on what he has done on that same night just think of Christ think of the cross he took the cup on the night that he would be betrayed and beaten and broken and stripped naked and murdered he takes this cup and he says this is my blood for the new covenant, meaning there's a new way. You don't need to earn your way to God. I'm going to earn it for you. What I need you to do is rest in me as we take the cup together and we do this in remembrance of Christ. Let's take the cup together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. There's only one thing I want people to do today to consider Jesus consider Jesus I pray as we leave today that we would just take one foot in front of the other and trust you for more of our life in Jesus name we pray and everyone said amen God bless you thank you for being here get to know one another get into a group go into growth track and serve